you recall, we are working our way through the Gospel of Matthew. We are in what's called the Olivet Discourse. Jesus has been asked two questions. The first question was, when is the temple going to be destroyed, like you've been telling us about for so long? And secondly, when are you going to return? The first, I believe, he answers the first question first in the first half of Matthew 24. And then he pivots and answers the second question, talks about his return, and he's still talking about his return in Matthew 25. But before we get into it, show of hands, classic 1980s Transformers fans. Yeah, come on, don't be shy. That's right, okay. 1986, Transformers the movie came out. If you're like me, it was your first experience with death. Ten minutes into the film, our hero, Optimus Prime, is killed. And if I'd known how toy manufacturing works, I wouldn't have been surprised. They needed new toys, so they had to kill off the old ones. But as a four-year-old boy, it was pretty traumatic. As he's dying, he hands off this glowing orb out of his chest called the Matrix of Leadership, and he passes it to the new leader of the Autobots, and he says, in your darkest hour, this will light your path. And so all through the movie, they're grabbing this thing, and they're trying to open it. This must be our darkest hour, and they pull on it, and it won't open. And then a little later on, this, this, may, this must be our darkest hour, and they pull on it, and it won't open. And it's not until the very last scene of the film, when all hope has been lost, that the thing actually opens and saves the day. Why am I telling you this story? Because that promise came later than they expected that it would. And this is the point of Jesus' parable today. Last week, we looked at a parable about two servants, and one of the servants was wicked because he didn't realize his master would come so soon, and his master caught him in disobedience. And we said Jesus could come at any moment. He could return for his people any day when we don't expect him. But in this parable, Jesus is going to say, Exactly the opposite. Take a look at verse 1. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the groom. And five of them were foolish and five were wise. And when the foolish took their lamps, they didn't take oil with them, but the wise ones took oil in the flasks with their lamps. Okay, so a little bit of background. Um, Jewish weddings, we don't quite know exactly how Jewish weddings work. We have some information, and just like weddings today, we can't be sure that they all work the same way. But there's a typical flow of um, rituals and ceremony, and I've got a graphic, very high-tech graphic. We've got the blue house where the groom lives. So the groom is going to leave his house, and he's going to go to the pink house where the bride lives. At the bride's house, the bride and her bridesmaids are there. The groom is going to meet them, and they're probably going to haggle over the bride price with the bride's family. There's probably going to be a meal. He's going to get his bride and the bridesmaids, and they're going to go back to the groom's house together. On the way to the groom's house, another group 
of party goers, young women, young men, they're going to see the groom coming and they're going to leave the groom's house to meet the bridal party. And then all of them are going together to the groom's house for the official wedding feast and the wedding ceremony. This is likely happening at night because it was a nighttime festival. So when we read this story about these 10 virgins, they could either be friends of the bride at the bride's house seeing the groom coming to her house, or they could be friends of the groom seeing the bride and groom coming together and going out to meet them. I don't think it matters too much, and I don't think we need to dig that deeply into this story to understand what Jesus is trying to say. Remember, when we talked about parables earlier in Matthew's gospel, we said that every single detail of the parable isn't the point of the parable. There's one or two major reasons why Jesus is telling this story, and we do it a disservice if we try to dissect every little detail. The most important part here is these young women are trying to get prepared for the coming of the groom. The first thing I think it's important to recognize is that Jesus says that this is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is like a wedding. And I think we get this wrong sometimes. We look to the future, we look to the kingdom of God, we look to heaven, and we think that's the end, the end of life. But it's not, it's the beginning. Anybody who's gotten married doesn't, doesn't uh, get together with someone and fall in love and, and, and go out and, and increase in the intimacy of their relationship, looking forward to the wedding, to day, the wedding day when it's going to be all over. No, it's just starting on the wedding day. This is what we have to look forward to, the kingdom of God fully come and all of sin and death destroyed and us given renewed life and renewed hope with Jesus as our king. So we have these virgins, these young women preparing for this wedding feast, this procession that they're going to go out into the night. Their responsibility is to light the way with their lamps. Look at verse 5. When the groom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. In the middle of the night, there was a shout, here's the groom, come out to meet him. Once again, we see that Jesus, the groom, he could return when you do not expect it. But like the last parable said, he could return sooner than you think. In this parable, we see that he returns later than they think. They stay up. They're waiting for him to return, and they get tired. They get sleepy. They all fall asleep, and they're surprised when he returns in their sleep. There was a a revival in our country called the Jesus Movement in the 1970s. One of the hallmark things of uh, aspects of the Jesus Movement, it was mostly young people finding renewed faith in Christ. And one of the things that they were so excited about was the fact that Jesus could return any day. I grew up in a Calvary Chapel church, which was part of this whole Jesus movement. The founder of Calvary Chapel, Chuck Smith, was a proponent of this idea that Jesus could return at any day. In 1979, he wrote a book and he said, you know, I I feel like in my heart of hearts that Jesus will return in 1981. He didn't return in 1981. In fact, the 1970s were 50 years ago. 
I don't know how many people I have heard say over the years, I believe that Jesus will return in my lifetime, and then they died. One of those people that said that is the Apostle Paul. 1 Thessalonians 4, he says, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, concerning those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and in the same way, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For we say this to you by a word from the Lord, we who are still alive at the Lord's coming will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. Paul says, we will not precede those who have died already. Paul believes that he will see the return of the Lord. But Paul did not. Paul died without seeing the return of the Lord. And this is the tension we find in Jesus' words here. Jesus could return any day, but he could also be a while. We don't know. We need to be people that are unwilling to give up on Jesus. Listen to the author of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 10. Remember the earlier days when after you had been enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to taunts and afflictions, and at other times you were companions of those who were treated that way. For you sympathized with the prisoners and accepted with joy the confiscation of your possessions because you know that you yourselves have a better and enduring possession. So don't throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you need endurance, so that after you have done God's will, you may receive what was promised. For yet in a very little while, the coming one will come and not delay, but my righteous one will live by faith. And if he draws back, I have no pleasure in him. But we are not those who draw back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and are saved. The author of Hebrews has a similar message. Hey, you guys remember when you started being publicly reviled for being Christians? Remember when you started getting thrown in jail for being Christians? Remember when they came to your house and stole your property because you were believing in Jesus? That was pretty terrible. But don't lose hope. Don't draw back. Have faith in Christ. And for those of us, especially those of us who that believe that the tribulation, the great tribulation of the future is something that the church will be spared from, if you hold that view, it's tempting to believe that bad things aren't going to happen to God's people. But what if we're called right now in 2021 to walk through a really dark time? I was at a conference once with um, Dr. Gary Brashears, who's a, a professor at Western Seminary, and he said, I believe the church will be raptured before the tribulation, but if you believe that simply because you're afraid of suffering, that's not a good reason for a theological belief. What if this generation, what if you and I are meant to be people that they write inspirational Christian books about in the future? Have you ever read the Fox's Book of Martyrs? It's horrifying. 
and it's beautiful and wonderful at the same time. It's filled with story after story after story of faithful followers of Jesus that stood up for Christ to their own harm. They didn't, they didn't lead insurrections. They didn't fight wars. They just said, Jesus is my Lord and my King and is my responsibility to love you, my enemy, and they were killed for it. And we look back at those books. I, I studied it in school. It's part of my curriculum. And yet today, we just can't imagine being people that are asked to do that. Let's move on. The groom is here. Come out to meet him. Then all the virgins got up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise ones, give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. And the wise ones answered, no, there won't be enough for us and for you. Go instead to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. Everyone's expecting this to be an evening procession. That's the way it would have worked. And that's why they have the lamps in the first place. Historians will tell us that the lamps were probably just bundles of sticks wrapped in rags that had to be dipped in a jar of oil and lit. Maybe they got 15 minutes out of each rag, and then they had to dip it again in the oil afresh to keep it going. Five of the young women have oil to spare for the journey with the groom. Five of them don't. And because of the long delay, because they weren't expecting the groom to take so long, their lamps have gone out. And they don't have enough extra when they really need it. And you might ask the question, why don't the wise versions share? Doesn't that seem like the Jesus-y thing to do is to share? That's not really the point of the story. But if they're responsible for lighting the way back to the groom's house... If they were to spread all their available oil around, all of their lamps would go out and there would be no light for anyone. What's Jesus telling us? Being ready for the coming of the king is not something that other people can do for you. We say things like, I grew up in a Christian house or I live in a Christian country, or I'm part of a Christian church. And we make a big deal about being in community with God's people, and I believe that we need to be in community with God's people to be healthy followers of Jesus, but the relationship that you have with Christ personally matters. What you do about Jesus is what will determine whether or not you're ready when He returns. And we were filled with all of these problems, worry and anxiety and depression and anger and fear and bitterness and laziness and pride and hard-heartedness. And, and I talk to some of you and, and, and many others throughout the week, and I say, how are you, are you reading your Bible? Are you, are you praying? Are you, are you walking in the light of Christian community? Are you confessing your sins to one another? And I so often I hear like, well, no, not really. I need to start doing that. Getting enough oil was their responsibility. 
And they didn't do it. What are the consequences of that? Verse 10, when they had gone to buy some, the groom arrived and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet and the door was shut. Later, the rest of the virgins also came and said, master, master, open up for us. He replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, be alert because you don't know either the day or the hour. This is where the parable kind of goes off the rails. Um, Most of Jesus' parables kind of get a little weird because they're not supposed to be real life. They're supposed to teach us something. Any normal groom wouldn't act this way. He wouldn't lock people out of his house and treat them like he doesn't know them. But Jesus is offering us a cautionary tale. Jesus is saying there is a long-term preparation needed to be fit for the kingdom. It's not something that you just do last minute. They don't have the time that they need to go out and get the supplies that they need. It's too, by the time they realize they're not ready, it's too late. Now, I know there's, there's such things as deathbed confessions, right? You, you, maybe you know someone, a loved one, who, who made a radical turn to faith in Jesus moments before they died. And that's, that's a real thing. That happens. We see it in Scripture. We see it with the thief on the cross. We have this, this man crucified as an insurrectionist and a murderer next to Jesus, making fun of Jesus with his friend. And for some reason, he has a change of heart. And he says, Lord, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. And Jesus says, you will be with me in paradise today. So that's a reality. And that's, that's the grace of God, isn't it? Offering his love and his salvation to you to the last minute. But don't be someone that patterns your life after a belief that at the very last moment you'll get it all worked out with God. John Mark Comer, who's a pastor in in Oregon, I've heard him speak a couple times in podcasts and talk about how we become more of the people that we are the older we get. And he gives the example of, of older people that have lived 70, 80, 90 years, and they're either like the nicest people you've ever met or they're just really bitter and gnarled jerks. It's because they've been living their life on a trajectory for so long, and they've, they've ground a rut into the ground of who they are. And after you've done it long enough, it's really hard to get out of it. And while it's possible that someone can just have a complete change of heart and follow Jesus at the very last, it's a hard rut to get out of if you've spent your entire life resisting the gospel. If you don't intentionally decide and pursue who you are going to be in Christ, you will simply slide into whatever the cultural default is. Last weekend, some of us went to the gymnastics um, uh, gym so that our children could play. Uh, But uh, we might have played a little bit as well. And I was with uh, a couple of guys, with Brian, and there's this big rope that, go, that, that goes all the way to the ceiling. It's, I don't know if it's that high. Probably wasn't that high. And there was this big foam pit under the rope. And I said, Brian, you can climb that rope? And Brian said, yeah, I am. And he did. He climbed all the way to the top, and we watched him climb, and all of our wives were cheering him on. And then he got down, and then suddenly the rest of us realized that we were 
obligated to prove that we were men by also climbing the rope. And uh, we did not. <laughs> Why did we not? Because Brian is at the gym every day. I am not. If I'd known like two weeks ago that I was going to have to climb that rope and impress my wife and all of her friends with my strength, I would have prepared. I would have been ready. But I didn't know. And I was not ready. We see in, we see in Daniel 6 a story of Daniel the prophet who is a high up government ruler in the kingdom of Persia. And his political enemies, they want to catch him and get rid of him. They don't like him. And so they get the king to pass a law that says for a month, the only person you can pray to is the king. This is a problem for Daniel because three times a day, he gets on his knees and he prays to Jerusalem, to Yahweh. And they, they catch him praying because after this ruling comes down, he just continues to do what he always does, what he's in the habit of doing. And his enemies know this, and they catch him. And I mean, you, you probably know the story. It ends up with the lion's den, and he's rescued by God. But what are the habits that you have right now that would put you in position, opposition to the law if laws were passed against following Jesus? It's not enough to just say, like, well, if they outlaw prayer, boy, I'm going to start praying. I'm going to show them. You know you're not. When we were locked down over April and May, I don't know how many times I heard, I'm never going to miss church again when we get the opportunity to regather. I've learned my lesson. It's so important, and I, we just need it so badly. Every single one of those people has missed church since we've regathered. And some of them I haven't seen for months. If things get difficult, that's not the time to start setting a course to follow Jesus. The wise virgins had prepared for the length of time that he was going to be away, and they were ready when he returned. What does Jesus say in verse 12? Truly I tell you, I don't know you. I don't know you. Those are really hard words. And it, it prompts an argument between just the best classic argument that I love to have between Calvinists and Arminianists. Can you lose your salvation? And fight about that for days. What do you mean I don't know you? I don't have an answer to that argument. But the author of Hebrews has some things to say. He says in Hebrews 1, Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors by the prophets at different times and in different ways. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. 
The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And after talking a little bit about angels, he says in in chapter 2, for this reason... We must pay attention all the more to what we have heard so that we will not drift away. This letter is written to Christians so that we will not drift away. Dallas Willard writes, the greatest issue facing the world today with all its heartbreaking needs is whether those who, by profession or culture, are identified as Christians will become disciples, students, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus Christ, steadily learning from him how to live the life of the kingdom of the heavens into every corner of human existence. That's quite a statement. The most most pressing need in the world today is for people who call themselves Christians to start acting like Christians. And friends, the, the church in our country is in danger right now. We are drifting away. Maybe it's been happening for a long time, but it it feels like it's happening faster. We are content to slap a Jesus label on ourselves, but we don't have the will to actually follow him where he leads. This week, I'm sure you've seen the pictures and the video and the reports of the attack on the Capitol building. And that's crazy as an American. But I'm not super concerned about that. What I'm concerned about is the people that stormed the Capitol and committed violence against people with a flag that said, Jesus saves. I'm concerned about the guy carrying a big wooden cross next to the guy carrying the Confederate flag. I'm concerned that there was Christian music playing on the lawn before and after the violence. For people to march against anyone in the name of Jesus and commit violence that ends in death is blasphemous and wicked and has nothing to do with our Savior. And Jesus says, I don't know you. It's not the first time he said this. In Matthew 7, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, do many miracles in your name? Jesus, didn't you see the flag I was waving? Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. Jesus' warning to us, his people in this parable, is not that 
he's going to be back any minute. That was, that was last week, and that's important. We need to remember that. But Jesus' warning in this parable is it might take longer than you think. Don't lose heart. Don't lose hope. We need to be people that take a serious look at where we are. We need to stop believing lies. We need to disconnect ourselves from those that would seek to start a revolution. And we need to get serious about the possibility that God has chosen to send us through a painful season of refinement. And we are not prepared for it. I was reading an article this week, and and the question was, what, what, if, what if that group that stormed the Capitol had Muslim flags and Islamic phrases on their t-shirts and were shouting Alu Akbar as they committed violence? What would, what would the country demand of the Muslim community? Hey, you guys, you better get your stuff in order. Even if we're going to be people that say, you know, that's a very small minority of Muslim culture. That doesn't represent all Muslims. Most Muslims are peaceful, which I believe is true. But still, whose responsibility is it to get the crazy people under control? And we know the answer to that because for years since 9-11, that's been the rallying call for the Muslim community. Hey, you guys, you need to take care of the radicalization in your midst. But it wasn't. Muslims. It was was people that claimed to follow Jesus. We We have work to do. Even if you say, well, I wasn't there and I don't believe that and I don't condone violence, that's great. But we still have work to do. John's John's a broken record up here talking about prayer every single week. In light of the violence at the Capitol, I sent out an email inviting everyone to pray for our nation on Thursday night. 66 people opened that email. And other than the three people that are there every week, one person came. And I don't, I don't mean to say that to shame us, but I do mean to say that we are not prepared for what is to come. We are undisciplined people. We are unskilled with the Word of God. We are unable to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit because we do not ask for Him through prayer. And for whatever this year and the coming years hold, should Jesus tarry, we are unprepared for it. We sing, come Lord Jesus. And I hope, I hope that we're raptured. I hope that all of this just ends. But if it doesn't, if we're a generation like previous generations that that suffered through hard times and hoped that Jesus was going to return and yet he waited because there are more people to bring into the kingdom, future generations that he wants to have with him forever, If we're not the last generation, we need to get serious about what we're doing here. 
And I say that to myself. I say that to all of us here. I say that to the American church at large. Because Jesus' word in verse 13 is be alert because you don't know either the day or the hour. Be ready. Be prepared. Be in it for the long haul. Develop the disciplines that we need to be strong in Christ. To love our neighbors, to love our enemies, to speak truth in love always, to be willing to suffer for what we believe, and to not take our Lord's name in vain by pursuing violent revolution instead of Christ-centered sacrifice. We take communion every week. We remember Jesus' body broken and blood shed. When his disciples were begging and hoping that he would institute a violent revolution, overthrow the government, set himself up as king, he had a different way of conquering the world. And as we take the bread and the cup, we remind ourselves that we have been invited by his grace, by his goodness, by his love for us to walk with him. And that invitation is a gift made possible by his death and his resurrection. And also for, for those of us, and I, probably all of us who are not where we know we should be, who are not as close to him as we should be, who are not in the word like we should be, who do not have a prayer life like we should. Continuing to walk with Jesus is a gift too. It's the empowering grace of the Holy Spirit that lets us be more like Jesus. And this is one of the reasons that we take communion continually. It's not a one-time deal. We need to remember the body and blood of Christ every single time we gather because the sacrifice of Jesus is the only thing that gives us hope. It is the only thing that gives us life. And as we sing God's praises this morning, as you come down and take the bread and the cup and take it back to your seat, recognize that it is by his broken body and shed blood that you have been given life. And it is by his broken body and shed blood that you continue to have the ability to walk in him. And so ask him for that. Ask him for the power of God to persevere when it's hard and lean into the things that he's calling us to. And it might mean getting rid of some stuff that's just fine on the side. You know, Netflix is fine. But maybe it's a problem. There's a, I could list another dozen things that are fine in the way we live our lives, but maybe they're a problem. Maybe they're in the way. And I just invite you to listen to the Spirit of God speak and let Him draw you in to the lifestyle that He wants for His people at this time 
in history. You've been listening to the Revelation Church Coeur d'Alene podcast. Learn more about Revelation Church at revelationcda.com.